All right, so there's copies of Psalm 37 going around. Um, it's a long psalm. It's 40 verses. So let's go ahead and get let's go ahead and get started. Let's pray. Thank you, our Father in heaven, for your your blessing and enriching us. We thank you for safe travels that we've had. We thank you, Lord, for family and time with family. I thank you for hearing us as we prayed for my mom, for example, and just getting better and better day by day. We pray for CJ that you'd help her. Um, whatever she has right this minute, that you would uh, grant her a quick recovery. And for Mandy and Tina as they fly, give them safety. And I, we pray, Lord. We, we're so grateful that she it appears that the cancer, the tumors are in remission. We pray, Lord, that there would be a great report come from MD Anderson as they go and, and go for the test, Lord. Bless us now, Father, as we jump into Psalm 37 and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's go to Psalm 37. And there's copies around if you need one. So let's just start. So everybody follow along here. Of David. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in Yahweh and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in Yahweh and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to Yahweh. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before Yahweh and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, for Yahweh, shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land, delight themselves in in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. But the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but Yahweh upholds the righteous. Yahweh knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they will have abundance. They have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of Yahweh are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous in gifts. For those blessed by Yahweh shall inherit the land, but those cursed by Him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by Yahweh when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for Yahweh upholds his hand. I have been young, and now am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For Yahweh loves justice, he will not forsake his saints, they are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. 
Yahweh will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for Yahweh and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land and you will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from Yahweh. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. Yahweh helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. So Psalm 37, is 40 verses there. Anything, did you see any repeats in there or did anything peculiar stand out to you? Yes, sir. Mm. Very good. So it's an acrostic psalm. We'll talk about that in a minute. Very good. It's, it is in the Hebrew. It's an acrostic psalm. It usually runs in groups of two verses. So Aleph is like verse 1 and 2. Then Bet is verse 3 and 4. There's some differences when you get down to verse uh, 20 is all by itself. And then you get down to verse 27 through 29. There's three verses with that letter leading it off. So very good. It's, a, it's an acrostic. What else? Yeah, in different ways, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like Psalm 1. What else? Yeah. 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 Yeah, very good. Anybody else? Yeah, in that, it's four times in that first eight verses. Fret not. Well, why do you have to say that? Because you fret. So fret not. Well, but you already said that. Well, fret not anyways. Okay. But why do you have to say it again? Well, fret not. Okay, got it. Who doesn't need to hear that? Right? What else do you see? Anything else? Great. Okay, we'll keep those thoughts in mind uh, as we move through. Here we go. So I'm calling this, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Anybody know who said that? Jesus, did you notice that phrase? I think it's said five times in Psalm 37. They shall inherit the earth. You will inherit the earth. They will inherit the earth. They will inherit the earth. This is where Jesus picked up that beatitude. It was right out of Psalm 37. Okay? So that's what I'm calling it. That's the fancy title. Not so fancy. So here it is. Don't fret, verses 1 through 9. Look carefully, 10 through 22. Turn away, verses 23 through 33, and then mark the blameless. Okay? That's how I'm going to break this down. You could probably break it down a little bit more detail, but I think that'll work. So it is an acrostic. The one letter that doesn't show up is the ayin. Everything else follows this pattern. So Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, uh, Het, and so forth. It follows that pattern in the Hebrew, and usually it's in two verse sections. Okay? Uh, like I said, there's one, one verse that stands by itself, and then there's a, a three-verse packet that follows a little bit different. Uh, and I think that that's actually to catch your attention as you're reading it. Okay, If you were reading it in Hebrew out loud, you would see the connection, and all of a sudden you'd be shocked by just one verse, and then you'd be caught again by the three verses, and then it goes back to the normal rhythm. Okay, 
And everybody understands what an acrostic is, right? The first letter of the first word is the first letter of the alphabet. And then when you get to the next section, the first letter of the first word starts with the next letter in the alphabet. It just keeps on going all the way through. Other things. uh, So take a look back through David's life. Uh, The psalm is a look back, in a sense, through David's life. And it's uh, much like Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes does not have 37 chapters. Why did I put that up there? Oh, it's verse 25. So here's Psalm 37, verse 25. I have been young and now I am old. So here he is at the end, looking back. And so this is kind of a summary. So don't forget, whatever you read in Psalm 37 is in the context of Psalms 1 through 36. Does that make sense? And so when you read Psalm 1 through 36, there's lots of turmoil. There's times when there's not success. There's time when it looks like the righteous really are being trampled and not succeeding and so forth, right? And the wicked seem to prosper and it goes on. So don't forget the rest of the Psalms. Our problem is that we often take one Psalm and pull it out and one verse out of that Psalm and we make it the big deal and it's like, but you forgot the rest of the context, right? And so... Here is David, he's looking back over his life, I'm old, uh, I'm, I'm, I was young, but now I'm old and looking back over my life. So very much like Ecclesiastes, where the writer of Ecclesiastes is looking back over his life. So Psalm 37 is also very much like praying the Proverbs. In fact, if you have a cross-reference in your Bible, good cross-reference, there should be lots of Proverbs uh, cross-referenced in the margin there, okay? You can't miss them, okay? Um... And so it's a, it's a soul, here's a soul taking to, talking to himself in prayer before God. He's talking to himself all the way through the psalm. He never addresses the Lord in the psalm. If I remember correctly, he never addresses the Lord. He's talking to himself and anybody who will listen. Anybody ever talk to themselves? Don't let Bill know. I won't let Bill know. Go ahead. Anybody ever talk to yourself? Yeah, right? And so you do often talk to yourself. When you get to Psalm 42 and 43... The psalmist does the same thing again. It's a different psalm writer. He does the same thing again. He tells his soul. He grabs himself and he tells his soul, look, you need not lose heart. You need to trust the Lord, right? Sometimes we have to give ourselves a gospel pep talk, if you want to call it that, right? Grab ourselves. So just own up to it. You talk to yourselves. I can see people here, guys. Good. And that's what he's doing. Uh, It's similar to some of our hymns. Such as, think of this hymn, 582, which I think we're singing tonight in the evening service. Yet yield not to temptation for yielding a sin. Each victory will help you some other to win. Fight manfully onward, dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus, he will carry you through. Ask the Savior to help you, comfort, strengthen, and keep you. He is willing to aid you, he will carry you through. And that hymn, you're not really singing to God, though you're singing before God. You're meditating on something from God about who He is and what you can trust about Him. You're meditating on that before God, but you're talking to yourself. You, you need not yield to temptation. You need to hold on. Right? Does, you get it? So I'm just trying to point out that this is not unusual. Okay. Is it too early? Oh, it's cloudy outside. That's what it is. All right, so don't fret. Verses 1 through 9. So run through verses 1 through 9. And you need to look for two approaches, okay? Here's what we do. Look for the negative and look for the positive. So quickly, just run through, look for the negative. What are some of the negative things? The the statements that are don't, 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 and all that kind of stuff. 
Don't be, don't fret, don't be envious. Is that what you said too, Pamela? That's an easy one. Good. Anybody else? Others? That's a positive one. So hold on to the positive one, yeah. Okay, what else? What other negative ones? Huh? Refrain from anger. Don't become angry. You can almost post this on your Facebook page, you know. Forsake wrath. What else? They will fade. They will wither. Yeah, okay. Okay, what are some positives? Pamela's already mentioned one of them. What was the positive again? Be still. Yep. What else? Trust in the Lord. Huh? Do good. Okay. Delight yourself in the Lord. Be friendly in the land or whatever it was. It's how it says it. Right? Okay, so that's how you should, as you're looking through those verses, so fret not, but do trust. Don't be envious, but do dwell in the land. Um, and it's uh, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness is how the verse goes. Uh, refrain from, but also delight. Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Forsake, commit, be still. Let me go back here. So there's, as you're running through, I mean, it's almost like a machine gun. If anybody ever fired a machine gun? Yes, thank you. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, it's almost like when we went live fire with M60 machine gun, it's like, whoo, I mean, just bam, 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 and you feel it, and it's fast. But you know it's got a lot of power in its speed and what it's doing, right? And so as you're reading those first nine verses, you know, it's just rapid fire. Just boom, 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 boom. Don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do. So you're kind of overwhelmed as you, you, you realize you get the point quickly, right? Does that make sense? Probably a rotten illustration, I know. Yes! Yes, the put off and the put on. Put off the old way of being human, put on the new way. Don't do this, instead do that. I'm glad you pointed that out. It's exactly the way you see Scripture often work. It's easy for us to say, stop smoking. But you've got to do the next part. You know, what's that? What do you do in place of it? Right? Okay. Great. Anything else on that? There's lots there. So five times, I and mean, this is just an overview very quickly, but five times the phrase, shall inherit the land, comes out in this psalm. Verse 9, 11, 22, 29, and 34. It's the same thing that our Lord told us in Matthew 5, verse 5. The meek shall inherit, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The point is, and you see it in the first nine verses, and you'll see it all the way through this psalm. The point is, is the long view. Okay? The long view is the believing perspective. The long view is a believing perspective even when wickedness walks through the church doors. The long view, I can't not say that enough because we immediately get wrapped up in the moment. And we catastrophize life, we catastrophize national politics, we catastrophize marriages because of this one immediate moment that we're swallowed up into. And the long view is the believing perspective. Does that make sense? I cannot emphasize that enough. 
It's probably one of our biggest problems as humans is that we don't have the long view. We have the immediate view. That's all we have. What's before my eyes? That's it. And there's no faith in what God is doing in the long perspective or very little faith. Okay, so that long view is extremely important and that's all the way through and you can't miss it with all this refrain, shall inherit the land, saying, talking about the conflict with the wicked and so forth and it will, this, this will turn around. It won't be on your time schedule, but it will turn around and you know it will turn around. If you believe Jesus was raised from the dead, guess what you should be believing? It will all turn around in the end, but even in history. There are lots of moments where it does turn around. Oh, I'll get off my soapbox. So you can't miss how that Longview theme runs rampant through, this, through Psalm 37. Um, now understand, instead of inactivity and passivity, so what's the primary, what are the primary steps to take? Just look at verses 1 through 9. Instead of inactivity and passivity, what are the positive steps to take? Yeah, commit, trust, delight, be still. Yeah, and wait patiently. Yeah, yeah. I'm a rotten patient, by the way. I go to see my mom in rehab and I'm going, they would have me institutionalized by by the end of the week. I'd be crazy, right? So waiting, but waiting with patience. Having that long view in mind, right? So I, I really appreciate how that's put in there, the way he does this. Um, and it's interesting that all of this, the fretting language is in the first nine verses. Just hammering that home because it's the one thing that we do a lot of. We fret, we fret, we fret, we fret, we worry. And then it's in that context he says, instead of that, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, delight in Him, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. So you're, you're turning in a different direction. Okay, anybody want to talk about that verse? Um, it's uh, verse uh, verse four. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. How could that be misused? <laughs> huh? Health and wealth. Everything is going to go well. I've watched Pollyanna. I know. Having glad verses, right? But. Ah, so what you delight in does impact the desires of your heart, right? I mean, what you delight in does impact the desires of your heart. So when you delight in the Lord, I mean, and, and even Augustine will come out in his, in his confessions and bring this out even more clearly, for example, hundreds of years after this, but it really is true. You are what you love, right? What you delight in, it does impact the desires of your heart, Okay. And so I love carving. I guess you didn't know that, did you? I delight myself in carving. So guess what happens? My desires have changed as I look at trees instead of cursing them as the limbs fall down, right? And I have to clean them up. I'm always looking at, oh, what could I do with this limb? Oh, I could carve this. I could do that, right? So my, because my desires change, my outlook has changed and so forth, right? Good. Anybody on those first nine verses, anything else you want to talk about?
Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Anybody else? Okay, so let's move on then. Looking at verses 10 through 22, look carefully. I'm actually, the titles of all these points are actually pulled right out of the, the paragraph. Um, <clears throat> so look carefully. It's in verses uh, 10 through 22. I won't read these again. It's almost like the tone kind of changes from verses 1 through 9 to verses 10 of following. It still is doing the same thing where it's, it feels a little jerky, but if you remember it's an acrostic, you realize he's... he's thinking he's, he's got an overarching view but he's putting it together in little packages okay and sometimes that's not the smoothest and that's still a thing here it still feels a little jerky so oh, 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 oh. so what are the wicked described as doing I'm sorry yeah at some point they'll be gone right what else the plotters yes they they plot we're back at that again, Steve. You pointed that out last week. The plotting. Yeah, right, yeah. Plotting. Okay, they're plotting. Right, so they're scheming, they're planning, all that stuff. What else are the wicked doing? Gnashing their teeth. Yes. Yes. Verse 14, quick to want to fight, but they're also quick to want to destroy or take down others, Right? Especially the defenseless, the poor and the needy. That's an interesting line. And, and also the righteous, to slay the way, those who, whose way is, in, is upright. Right? So they're quick to violence. If it's not physical, it's verbal. Those kinds of things, right? What else? What else do you notice about what the wicked do or are doing here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So it's just the transients. Compared to your compared to your permanence, you will inherit the land. Compared to your permanence in the Lord, they're transient. Now they may be transient because they get converted. Please, Lord, right? And then they become, they line up with you and will inherit the land with you. Or they're transient in that they will be wiped off. Right? Okay? Good. What else? Anything else? Yeah, sword enters our heart. Who said borrow? Yeah, isn't that interesting? And then the contrast is that the upright are generous. Okay? So there's a... There's the tight-fisted and then there's the generous. Of course, everybody remembers Ebenezer Scrooge, so you've got the perfect picture in your head when it comes to that, right? So, what is better? So, notice the way of the upright. What is the better way? So, that's their transient way. What's the better way? How does it describe the way of the upright? Verses 10 through 22. Yeah. Yeah. 
which coming out of the stormy words of verses 1 through 9 are fretting and envious. It's interesting, but they'll have peace, right? And then you get that storminess that keeps on going when it talks about how the wicked pull out swords and start attacking, right? So what else about the upright? Yep. Yep, their heritage remain forever. Yeah, they'll have abundance and famine. What's interesting is that uh, back in verse 16, better is a little bit that the righteous has. So the righteous are not always wealthy. They may have little, but far better to have that little than to have great wealth with the wickedness. But then the Lord does provide for them, right? And that's the abundance aspect. What else? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That is good. So who's laughing at whom? It's in, it's in the verses. Who's laughing at whom? Yeah, isn't that interesting? Verse 13, but, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for He sees that His day is coming. It's the same thing is said in Psalm 2 and verse 4. As the nations revolt against the Messiah, it says the Lord laughs from heaven and holds the nations in derision. It's not a laughter of, oh goody, it's like, you fools. Right? It's almost like a Mr. T moment, you know. I pity the fool, right? It's just that kind of like, this is so stupid. Do you not realize how temporary you are? Do you not realize who I am? I mean, come on. Are you that dense? Yes, I know you are. Okay, just, he's laughing at them. That's good to know. There are times you don't feel like laughing in situations like that, but it's good to know, oh, but the Lord is laughing at them because it's stupid. Have you ever laughed at stupid before? I mean, Mike laughs all the time when he takes John golfing, right? But I won't tell you why. But <laughs> John's not stupid. I'm just being funny. So he laughs at the stupidity and the inanity of what the wicked think that they have superpowers and they really have none, right? Okay? So we've already talked about who is momentary. We've already stressed that. Who's transient and momentary. Who has here in this, who has the longevity? Yeah. Okay, those who commit their way to the Lord, those who take delight in the Lord, Right? They have the longevity. And you see that in verse 17. Rescue me from their destruction. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong, wrong song. 17. Yeah, the Lord upholds the righteous. So notice the longevity is not because we've earned it. It's the Lord upholding us. So we're back to God's goodness and His mercy to us, His grace to us. Okay? So one of the traits of the upright is something. Let me tell you what it is here in a second. And this stands in stark contrast to the trait of the wicked. So notice the, the, one of the uh, traits of the upright. Um, oh, which is interesting is, we just mentioned it, is the generosity. The wicked are not known for generosity, verse 21. And this will come up again when you get down to verse 26. 
The wicked are not known for generosity. They're known for keeping and hoarding. And yet the righteous is generous and gives. And then when we finally get down to verse 26, he is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. That's interesting that the, one of the traits that's just, it's not the centerpiece, but it's one of them that's highlighted is the generosity. That This is a trait of the upright, is that they're generous. They're not hoarding, 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 hoarding. They're willing to actually, you know, share. And, and sometimes it requires a low interest loan kind of thing, borrows with generosity, right? But, but at other times, it's just outright giving, okay? Just that generosity, Uh, let's do this. Before we go any further, and I may bring it up later, but who is the wicked? Oh, I will bring it up later. So hold that thought. Ask that question of who are the wicked in Psalm 37? Let's go on. So anybody else on verses 10 through 22? All right, so verses 23 through 33. Well, let me get there. So you look at verses 23 through 33, what are the characteristics of the righteous? Yeah, okay. Established by the Lord. Okay, what else? He does enjoy God. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, not abandoned or forsaken, okay? Very good. In fact, it's interesting when David says... um, Verse 25, I've been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. It doesn't mean I have not seen the righteous have no problems. I mean, you got Psalm 37 to tell you otherwise. It's not that I have not seen the righteous have not have problems. It's I've not seen them forsaken as they walk through the problems, as they walk through the trouble. Does that make sense? I think it's important to say because I have actually heard people misuse that verse to say you should have no problems. But it's not that you don't have them, it's that you're not forsaken in them. And where would you go, what would be the one place immediately you'd want to go to point to to say, I know this is the case. That they're not forsaken, they may not be relieved from the problems at first, but they're not forsaken. Where would you go? Yeah, Christ on the cross. Here's our Lord Jesus Christ, bearing our sins. He, he, he feels forsaken because He's bearing our sins. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, who is with Him through all of that and even afterwards and vindicates Him? Right. And so He's not delivered from the pain and the trouble, but He is walked with and carried through and, and, and the Father is with Him through it all. So I don't think that's the same thing to keep in mind when you see that passage, okay? All right, so... Notice that the psalmist is getting in his steps. <laughs> Okay, three of you are doing that too, so good. But notice the steps in verse 23 and then again down in verse 31. The steps of a man are established by Yahweh when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for for Yahweh upholds his hand. And then verse 
31, the law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. I just thought that was really interesting. Twice it brings up steps, you know, walking along. If you've ever gone hiking on a long trek, you understand the value of having solid steps because you don't want to fall off the trail and go down the slope or you don't want to stumble. You don't want the tree roots to come up and grab you. You want to, you're having steady steps is important and that's the image there. So how is longevity in the long view again being presented in verses 23 through 33? Yeah, like verse 27 and and on from there. Yeah. Yes. Yes, that's really comforting. You may fall, but you're not cast headlong. And as soon as I read that, every time I read that, Judas comes to mind. Because when he hung himself, then it says that the rope broke and he fell headlong and burst open. That's the cursed person, right? But here's the one who's the upright. He's not, he's not cast headlong in the end, right? Just thrown out and just destroyed. That's comforting, right? And the long view. Okay, what else? Where else do you see the long view being worked out again? Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, verse 33, thinking even the day of judgment, Yahweh will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial, right? And that's the shorter catechism when it talks about what... Benefits to believers received from Christ at the resurrection. At the resurrection, believers being openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment will be made perfectly blessed to the full enjoying of God all eternity. What an interesting, great statement. And it fits in very well there. You know that in the end, the long, the long view is what, you trust, is what you trust in. When you're trusting the Lord, this is the believing view, the long view. Okay, great. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. Very good. And that comes up all over the place, like Exodus 34, when the Lord says, uh, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in, in steadfast love and faithfulness, who will keep steadfast love for thousands, but you know, will not dismiss the, the guilt of the wicked to the third and the fourth generation. Now you see, I mean, most of that is just reminding us that our actions as adults and teenagers sometimes have lifelong multi-generational consequences. Right? So yeah, pretty good. Alright, so um, verses 27-29 go well with chapter 34, 11-16. Here we're back to a, to a directive, a set of directives that we heard back in chapter 34, when, which shows up in 1 Peter. Um, 
In Psalm 34, come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of Yahweh. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it, etc. And here it is in verse 27 through 29. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever, for Yahweh loves justice and will not forsake his saints, preserves them forever, etc. And just that reminder again, we have an obligation. I really enjoy, I was reading the other day, I was reading a book called On Getting Out of Bed. The author's name is Alan Noble. He's, a, he's an English professor at OBU. He goes to actually our church in Shawnee. He goes to Shawnee PCA. The whole book is about mental, uh, mental affliction, whether, which would include mental illness, but also just mental affliction. And one of the things he keeps coming back to, and I really appreciate it, is that no matter what you're going through, you still have an obligation to love God whole hog and love your neighbors yourself. Right? And what does that look like? Well, you may not be able to do much, but it gets you out of you, right? And you, you realize, I may be suffering from depression, dark depression, clinical depression even, but I still have an obligation to reach out and show um, the love of God to other people. And that may only be so much, all you're able to do, but that's better than not than sitting back and just imploding into yourself, right? It's the same kind of thing all the way through this psalm, and then you have this in the moment. Don't ever forget, even when you're faced with wicked and evildoers, you still have an obligation to turn away from evil and do good. Or as Paul puts it in Romans 12, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, Right? The Bible is pretty consistent. We're not. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you're absolutely right. So the psalm oozes uh, confidence in whom? Yeah, the Lord. So where does the reason for this confidence come out clearly when you're looking at verses 23 through 33? Yeah, some of it's from his experience. I'm, I was young and now I'm old and this is what I know, what I've experienced, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's seen God's patterns, the way that God normally works. So he can write some of these things this way. Yes, the character of God. No matter what happens, you know that God loves justice. When evil is prominent and prevailing, you know God loves justice. Okay, it may not look like it in the moment, but this is where the long view comes in. But you know it. Okay, good. So I love the, the hymn, one of the hymns, we don't, we're not going to sing it today, but Martin Rinkert wrote this hymn in 1636 after going through uh, a plague Bearing 4,000 people in his city, he buried them. Uh, he lost his own family, and he wrote this hymn, and we sing this on occasion. And this is the kind of heart that you see going on in Psalm 37. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices, who wondrous things hath done, and whom this, his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love, and still is ours today. Oh, may this bounteous God through all our life be near us. 
with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us. And keep us in His grace and guide us when perplexed and free us from all ills in this world and the next. It's a beautiful hymn. So then, anybody else on, verses, on those verses we just got done with that stopped at verse 33? 22 through 33? Alright, so 34 through 40. We're back to longevity again. Where does longevity show up? Okay. Yeah, verse 34. Wait for the Lord to keep His way. He will exalt you to inherit land. That's one part of the longevity. And the other part is, and you will look on when the wicked are cut off. Right? So, that longevity. Right? Where else? Yes. Absolutely. Mark the blameless and behold the upright for there is a future for the man of cantankerousness. Oh, did I? Oh, 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 the man of peace. Interesting. There's a future for the man of peace, but the transgressors will altogether be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked, there we're back to future again, shall be cut off. So there's the long view. It's, it, it, uh, um, what in the world did I type? Notice how verse makes the long view. Oh, it makes the long view a must when you read verse thirty-seven to thirty-eight, and it shows up also when you get to Proverbs. Remember, I said it's like praying Proverbs. Psalm thirty-seven is like a, a bunch of proverbs, and you're praying. You're actually meditating on them before the Lord. Well, think about Proverbs twenty-three, verse seventeen. Let not your heart envy sinners. You've heard that before in Psalm 37? Yeah. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue, long view, continue in the fear of the Lord and the fear of Yahweh all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope shall not be cut off or will not be cut off, right? It's almost like Psalm 37, and even though Solomon wrote Proverbs 23, it's like Psalm 37 is an extended meditation on those two verses in Proverbs 23. And then suddenly and surprisingly comes out verses 39 through 40. The salvation of the righteous is from Yahweh. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. Yahweh helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. It's like that's the foundation of the whole psalm right there. The grounding of all the confidence and having the long view. Right? This is who God is. This is what God does. And those who are actually helped are those who have actually... Uh, it's that because line. Because they take refuge in Him. Are the ones that have run to Him and found Him to be the storm shelter. If you want to use a to- Oklahoma tornado imagery. Right? It's found Him to be the refuge. So the reality of these two verses has been undergirding the psalm from the very get-go. So how do you know this to be the, the cause or the case? Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very good. 
Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just kind of like kids, you know, sometimes, I mean, think about kids when they throw a tantrum. What's one of the first things they do when you don't give them the cookie they wanted? I hate you! You don't love me! Right? They feel forsaken, but the reality is like, no, you're not forsaken. I love you. That's why you're not getting the stinking cookie, you know, or whatever, right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, so we still do that stuff. Nobody ever did that. It was just me. Was I the only one that ever did that? Okay. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-10. through 10. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. So notice all of Paul's language there as he's talking. We felt like we were cut off. And then he goes on and says, but that was to make us. Notice the teaching moment that God is doing here. That was to make us rely, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Notice that he goes to Jesus and he goes to the resurrection of this statement. The reason why we went through all of that, thinking that we were cut off, is so that we would quit trusting in all the wrong things. Right? So we rely upon the God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us on Him, we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Right? I think that's part of the heart of Psalm 37. The, most of the time, our, our problem is that we have the, the short view in the moment, and we're actually trusting in everything else but God. And the believing perspective is to have a long view, trusting that He's faithful and consistent, and is not fickle, and is not waffling, and what he will do will work out. He will make it work out. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So let me let some tire, uh, air out of the tires for a moment. Let's go back to our question that I didn't answer. Who are the wicked in this psalm? Yeah, but who, who, I mean, who are they? Think about relation, relationally. Who are they? Ah, interesting. People we're close to? Probably, yeah, yeah, right. So you think about David's relationship and his life. Who were the people closest to him all the stinking time, except for the few times he ended up in Philistia? Yeah, Saul. Okay, his son, his, yeah, his own son Absalom. People of Israel. Yeah, my, yeah. Saul's daughter, his his first wife, his his, yes. Yeah, she was, a, yeah, right. But she was something. But I think that all that's correct, and that's what you should see even closer personally, but I think Brandon has got it. The wicked in the Psalm 37 are not Moabites and Amorites. Because they didn't hang around. He's talking about people he has to deal with. He's talking about covenant members. Sometimes evil walks in the church door. This is what makes Romans 12 so important. When Paul is talking there about how we relate to one another, then he talks about, and here's how you act when you're persecuted. 
if you've ever been at a church, there's been sometimes, sometimes you can get persecuted in church. And so you start reading in Romans 12 and you realize he's talking about people that you deal with in the church and maybe close outside the church, but it's definitely also those in the church at times. And so he ends Romans 12 with, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I think that's really important. And here's Psalm, here's Psalm 37 and it's really dealing with that aspect. And so having that long view in mind. So that you're not out there with swords slashing and crashing and destroying and all that stuff. You actually have that confidence in the Lord. doesn't mean that you don't do anything. But you have that confidence in the Lord and you know. So I have great confidence. I don't care how apostate the church gets. I have great confidence. It will never go away. Do you know why? Did anybody happen to say that death would not even prevail against the church? Or that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church? Anybody? Jesus, right? There will be change. I don't have to panic about the future. Now, I don't know about you, but that lifts my heart. Because when people are involved, I mean, not like me, mind you, okay? But when people are involved, the church is a tricky place. People step on each other's toes. Racist racist remarks come out of people's mouths. Uh, There's just things that happen and you go... I thought we were Christians. Well, we are. But we ain't in heaven yet. If you didn't know that, we're not there yet. And I have great confidence not in us in that sense. I have great confidence that the Lord, the long view, the Lord will bring it all to pass. Right? Get it where He needs to go. Anyways. So here's, uh, this is, I've already mentioned this book the other day, Reading the Psalms with Luther. Here's, Luther's introduction to Psalm 37. This is a part of it. It's not all of it. The 37th Psalm is a psalm of comfort that teaches and exhorts us to have patience in the world and warns us especially against envy. For it is vexing and painful to the weak in faith when things go so well with the godless and the opposite happens to those who fear God. The message is clear. Learn to have endurance. Take your heart to God and do not let yourself be vexed. It's a great statement. If you know Luther's life, you know he had skin in that game. Okay? Great. All right, anybody else in Psalm 37? Yes, David. We did, but we'll do it again. So what what you delight in affects your desires. Yeah, and that's the answer to that that concept, right? And so to put it in Augustinian words, you are what you love. And so if you really desire the Lord, it does impact what you, if you delight in the Lord, it impacts what you really desire. Because if you delight in the Lord, for example, you're not going to be looking for another wife. Right? Right. You get what I'm saying? So you delight in the Lord, you're going to want more of what He wants. And that does then change the desires of your heart. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Right. Because we start actually at the end of this verse. 
I've been promised the desires of my heart, so I delight in the Lord. That's how Americans think. Because it's all productivity and what I can get, right? When you start out at the other end, what does it really mean to delight in the Lord? And the more you dwell on that, the more you realize, oh, that that changes the game. Which is why, for example, later on it talks about turn away from evil and do good. Well, that's the person who delights in the Lord. They don't want to turn away from evil and do good. They want to retaliate. But no, they delight in the Lord. It changes how they respond to evil. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Great question. Thanks for giving me a chance to say it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's why you get to those last two verses. This is who God is, right? So the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them and delivers them from the wicked and saves them. Why? Because they take refuge in Him. So the whole psalm is really, here's how that looks. Here's a person who delights in the Lord. Contrasted with a person who doesn't. It's a good way to put it. Anybody else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Who knows? I mean, part of it may just be because acrostic doesn't really resonate with Americans. Well, yeah, I mean, it would require an explanation. They'd actually have to explain that, and then when you start real, but it's, who knows? Yeah. So I don't want to tell you. I mean, it's like Lamentations. Lamentations is five chapters. First four chapters of Lamentations are all on acrostic, and you would never know it. And that's like no translation I've ever seen actually brings it out, but every one of those chapters is an acrostic, and then the last chapter isn't, but it still has 22 verses to follow the alphabet, you know, in a sense, right? So it's really interesting. Yes? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. That could be a problem, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, the acrostic, the value of the acrostic and, and potential PhDs in English could help us out with this. But the, the value of an acrostic is for memorization. And in a highly illiterate society, that helps out. Then you, you're going through Olive. What was Olive? Oh, that's right. What was Bet? Oh, that's right. Right. So it's, it's more for memorization than, um, than being fancy or anything like, or clever or whatever. It's just more for memorization. But also... It, it's meant to slow you down when you realize that this whole first and second verse, for example, begin with Olive, and you're slowly thinking about how does Olive fit in here. And... There you go. That's right. Okay. Good job. Anybody else? All right. So next week will be Psalm 38. Okay. Let's pray. Oh, Lord our God, we uh, confess to you that we do not always delight in you. We often do fret. We often are envious of those we should not fret over and nor be envious of. We ask you to forgive us.
We pray, Lord, that you would grow in us in trusting you and then responding to those around us doing good. That we would delight ourselves in you and watch you give us the renewed and newfound desires of our hearts. That we would commit our ways to you. We would trust in you. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us with that. I pray that our discussion would linger in our hearts and our heads this week. Be with us now and prepare us to enter into the great assembly to worship you, the God who really is good, who is our refuge. Salvation of the righteous is from Yahweh. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. Yahweh helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. In Jesus' name, amen.